Matthew 9, 35-38 And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for being our shepherd. We thank you for the compassion you have for us. We pray that you would guide us today and soften our hearts to what you want to teach us and be with Sam and guide him as he teaches from your word. Thank you for your word that comforts us, brings us hope, and guides us into all truth. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Ashley, for reading that for us. Um, yeah, my name's Sam. Uh, if I haven't met you, uh, let me add my own welcome along. It's good to have you here, uh, and it's a privilege uh, this morning to, uh, to preach uh, God's word to you. I wonder, uh, this, this passage talks about being harassed and helpless. I wonder if you've had experience being uh, truly helpless before, or perhaps you've, you've been with someone who's been helpless. Uh, years ago, actually at my first um, beach project, I think it's my first beach project, I was swimming out in the ocean with a few, with a couple of guys, um, and uh, we got caught in a really serious rip. Now, years ago, we swam at this silly little beach that you can find, but you shouldn't find. It's got rocks either side of it and rips in it. Um, and so when you get caught in a rip, we got caught in the kind that we're looking out to sea and we look back and we're like 50 to 100 meters further out than we realize. It's quite serious. You know, you meant to kind of swim across it, I think, but we couldn't because there were rocks. And so we just said, okay, we'll swim back in um, or we'll try to swim back in. So there are three of us and myself and one of the others, um, we kind of make it to the point where we can stand up. So we're just standing and we're kind of just able to keep ourselves there and we, we can't find our other friend anywhere. And so again, like we're not thinking very clearly and we're probably quite a bit of fear and panic, I think, at this point. I can't remember that clearly. Um, but we just kind of went back out to find this other friend, uh, which is not, not very smart. Um, but fortunately, it worked out okay. We, we found him, um, and he was, he, he was harassed and helpless. He'd been um, tossed about by the waves. He was exhausted. Uh, we, we didn't realize quite how bad it was at that point. So we, we grabbed him, and we kind of slowly made our way. This is hard work. Slowly made our way back to the point where we could stand up. Um, and at that point, this could be my naivety. Um, I was, I was, you know, not much younger than I am now, but younger at the time, maybe that's why, um, or I just didn't fully appreciate it. And so I actually decided it'd be a good time for a pep talk uh, for him. And it was pretty, I'd say it was a pretty aggressive pep talk because there's a bit of fear. And so I was like, Hey mate, like, I don't know what you're doing, but it's time to snap out of it. Like it's time to snap out of it, sort yourself out, get on this wave, get in. Um, and I thought that would work. Uh, the thing is I didn't realize that he was completely helpless. So we, we threw him on this wave. We just kind of tossed him on it. Um, and, and genuinely, I thought he would swim in. And we would swim in and that would be it. We tossed him on the wave. He just went straight under, had no energy left at all. Um, this was someone completely helpless. He was unable to do what he needed to do uh, to save himself. Now, now fortunately, it all uh, worked out. It was actually miraculous. We got into shore and the one other family on the shore was an um, ER nurse. Uh, the woman was an ER nurse, so she just took control. It was great. Uh, we praise God for that. It's a scary situation, though, to be in uh, when, when you're helpless or if you're dealing with someone who is helpless. 
like he was unable to help themselves. It's humbling. And that's the description that Jesus uses, or the descriptor Jesus uses of the crowds he sees before him here in his passage. In fact, it's the description of the world um, as a whole uh, without Jesus, of us without Jesus. Helpless, uh, hopeless in a sense. And yet we have hope because Jesus' response is deep compassion. So that's the series we're in at the moment, is compassion that compels. And we're looking broadly at Jesus' heart, his compassionate heart, and how that compels him to, to come to earth and to, to save us and to redeem us. And that actually compels us, all of that, compels us to, to love Jesus, to want to live for um, Jesus. Well, in today's passage, uh, we're going to see Christ's compassionate heart for these lost people. We're going to see how that compels him to action. Um, we're going to actually see how we are invited uh, to play a part and to participate actually with him in what he's feeling. So let, let's pray again and, uh, and we'll dig into it. Our Father, God, we pray uh, for your spirit to be at work here in our hearts. Lord, I feel, um, yeah, I feel inadequate for the task of, of proclaiming your word. And God, I, I know that we need you. Uh, God, would this not just be um, helpful information, but God, would it actually be life-changing uh, truths? Lord, would you, draw, would you draw me into worship and us into worship and transformation as we um, as we experience uh, this time, as we enjoy your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this passage, we, we do get this wonderful um, glimpse of Jesus' heart. We're, we're, we're not told just what he does, but actually um, we've got an insight into what motivates him. Yeah, verse 35 gives us the context, and it describes what's happening here. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now, in the pages uh, in the chapters preceding this, that's exactly uh, what we see. And it's incredible. It's worth going and um, having a read of it. It's amazing to see Jesus at work there. Uh, but, but our attention is quickly drawn here to Jesus' own heart. It says, when he saw the crowds, and the crowds there we, we take to mean is, is all the people he's, he's been with and is with, the crowds broadly. When he saw them, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Harassed and helpless. Another translation has it, uh, distressed and dejected. J.B. Phillips in his translation says, bewildered and miserable. They're in a, a terrible uh, situation. There's great need and, and the message is that they are unable to help themselves. The, the word picture that Matthew uses is actually really helpful. Like sheep without a shepherd. So, so sheep are... They need a shepherd to guide them. They need a shepherd to protect them, to, to care for them. Without one, they're, uh, they're helpless. They're harassed by the elements. They're endangered. Um, they are in, in trouble. And so we might wonder, so what's happened to cause these people to be harassed and helpless? How have they ended up here? The better question would actually be, um, what have they done to end up here? And the answer is that these people who are like sheep without a shepherd are actually like sheep who have chosen to leave their shepherd. Freedom is not always a good thing. See, but they've chosen to free themselves from the, the good protection, the loving care of their shepherd. The Bible's clear that God created people to be with him. And yet because of our, our rebellion and our sin against him, we've chosen to go our own way and we're suffering 
the consequences. Picture a, a fish who's leapt out of its tank, uh, freeing itself from it, but is now dying on the floor, harassed and helpless. Now, fortunately, into this, this is a, a tragic and, and hopeless scene. Fortunately, into it, Jesus' response gives hope and it gives peace. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Now, compassion is this deep emotional movement. It's inclined towards someone, probably someone who's suffering or who's in need. B.B. Uh, Warfield um, translates that as Jesus felt pity for them. Right? Jesus' heart goes out to the people. His disposition is that he's toward them. But we do have to be a little bit careful here. If you or I uh, feel pity or compassion for someone or something, it's most likely uh, because the, the thing or the person is is pitiful. Right? That is because there's something about it that evokes our, our emotion, evokes our uh, compassion. But, but these people, they, they have actively rebelled against their loving God, actively rebelled against, against Jesus himself. They've, it's like they've, they've spat in his face, they've taken up arms against him, they've committed spiritual adultery against God. And so they actually, they deserve to be where they are. They deserve God's wrath. They deserve to be harassed and helpless. Jesus' compassion for them, then, it, it cannot be on account of their loveliness. Because they're not lovely and they're not lovable. It can only be on account of the abundant grace in his heart. And the hard thing for you and I is that this situation is the same as ours. Just like these people in this passage all this time ago, we too have each gone against God, each rebelled against him and decided it would be better without him, freeing ourselves from all the goodness of his presence. You know, Paul says we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient and led astray. The good news is that Jesus, seeing us, just as he saw these crowds, feels compassion out of his gracious heart. In 2018, you're probably aware there was this, this scary situation developed in Thailand where uh, these 12 Thai boys and a soccer team and their soccer coach uh, became trapped in uh, a cave. There's a number of great movies and documentaries made about this. Uh, it's an incredible story. But they, 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 they walked into a, a cave and walked four kilometers into this cave. And then when the rains came, significant rain, and it, it flooded, they're completely trapped, completely trapped in the dark. Four kilometers of underground, un underwater swimming would separate them from rescue or from survival. And that's a scary picture of helplessness. If we would take them, uh, it would take 10 days um, for uh, rescuers to find them. You imagine after 10 days in, in the darkness, 10 days of hopelessness to see the torchlight shining uh, through the water and see someone emerge and feel that there's, there's hope at last. We're rescued. It would actually take them seven more days to devise and execute a plan to save um, these, these boys. They're actually so helpless, so unable to help themselves, that the rescue plan involved sedating them and, and causing them to be um, unconscious so that they could just be carried out. You know, for them to try to help themselves would actually be to endanger themselves in this process. What a wonderful picture of the helplessness that we can, we can find ourselves in. In this amazing rescue story, we actually have something, or we see something of our cosmic rescue. 
Tim Keller uh, puts it this way. The gospel says you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, but more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. We are certainly wretched, sinful rebels, but the good news is that Christ's heart is toward us. He's inclined toward us. He says that I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. And so when we see Jesus die on the cross, we actually see his compassionate heart for each one of his lost sheep. We actually see him paying the price for our salvation, for the salvation of each one of his lost sheep. And when we see him rise from the dead, we hear and we see the unquestionable declaration that it worked, that all who trust in Jesus are rescued and are saved. Are you here and and you haven't yet trusted in Jesus? You don't know him as your saviour? If that's the case, I trust that you, you feel something of what we're talking about here. I trust that you feel something of the being harassed and and helpless and distressed. I trust that because I trust that you're made for more than this world. I trust that the world can't give you what you need most at the deepest level. And so let me urge you to turn from trying to do it your own way and turn back to the one who can help. Uh, Would you turn or would you trust in Jesus? If, if you want to know more about that, I would love to talk to you more about it. It's the best news that I've ever heard. It's the reason that I have eternal life. I would love to talk to you uh, more about it. Uh, perhaps you could talk with the people who, the person who brought you along uh, today. Now, I'm also sure uh, that there are many here today, maybe everyone here today, who, who trusts in, in Jesus and who has a relationship with him and yet who actually relates to these descriptions as well. It's what Pete was talking about uh, in his call to worship today, that, that we are saved and yet we still feel harassed and we still feel distressed. We still feel hardship. It's not all peace. It's not all easy. Let me say at the outset that, that this is it's understandable, not just that, but it is to be expected. Jesus says, you know, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Peter talks about Christians as pilgrims in the world. That's, that's people on a challenging journey. We shouldn't be surprised uh, to experience hardship. We shouldn't be uh, surprised to experience difficulty. The passage that we're, we're talking about today is actually all about the fact that the peace that we've attained in the gospel is still going to the world. And so it's not yet completed. It's not yet done. We, we could think of it like evil has been defeated, truly, but it's not yet been eradicated fully. And so that means that we, we kind of have some truths that we're holding together because we are, we are saved and we have peace in God, but we do experience hardship. And I want to speak to the truth of, of each of those things. I want to say that if you're experiencing hardship, that that is real. You know, I've, I've experienced hardship. We as a family have. This, this time is actually the, uh, the due date of the, um, of our first uh, child, uh, who we never actually got to meet. So this little one died before uh, she was born. That brought with it a season of, of grief, hardship. It's a real season of those things. It's not fake. It's not perceived. It's real suffering. And as real as the suffering is, so is the presence of our Savior 
in every moment, the presence of God in every moment. We, we were shepherded, cared for, protected, uh, loved. The, the differentiation I would make is I'd say that we may feel harassed, but we are not helpless. We have a shepherd who is, who is with us. The devil would love to convince us that we're alone. He'd love to convince you that God is not with you or that God holds you at an arm's length for whatever reason, but it's not true. If we're experiencing hardship, we are doing so in the embrace of our loving Father. Sometimes we pray that God will be with people. Uh, I've actually heard it twice today, and it's, it's fine to pray that God will be with people. But when we pray that, we're not praying that God would go from being away from us to near us. God is, is with you. If you're trusting in Jesus, then I can say confidently that I'm sure God is with you, that Jesus is near to you. you know, when we pray that, and when I pray that for people, I'm praying, I'm praying that you would experience the depths of it that you would, you would find rest in him. You'd be comforted by his nearness. So would any present hardships, suffering, and I've no doubt there are those in this room, would it actually only cause us to be drawn all the more deeply into God's embrace? A great help uh, to me in, in this um, has been meditating on and praying the words of Psalm 23. We've actually heard these words twice today. Um, but I think that's the point. So I'm gonna we're gonna hear him a third time, because uh, the point is that these aren't truths that we we hear, we've got them, and we just acknowledge them and move on. At least for me, that hasn't seemed to work. It's actually that I'm saying these regularly, and I'm I'm praying that these would be kind of massaged into my heart. The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. Verse four says, "Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me." Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We may feel harassed, but we are not helpless. So we get it. We get a wonderful glimpse here of Christ's heart. He is our, our shepherd and our helper. And we see how the gospel and, and our own rescue actually arises out of his heart. And that is wonderful, but it's not all we have in this passage. As we read on, we're actually invited to join Jesus here in what he's uh, feeling. We're invited to join him in feeling as he does, and we're invited to join him in, in his compassion to the world. So having looked at Christ's heart, let's turn and, and look at our part in all of this. Our passage continues, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, there's, there's a turning point here uh, where Jesus specifically invites his followers here, and, and we're included in, in this, I believe, uh, to join him in his compassion. In saying that the harvest is, is plentiful, um, he's telling the disciples what they've seen, but he's describing the truth of it, which, which is that the need is abundant and there is work to be done. I work on a staff team, um, and, and we have some staff meetings uh, from time to time, and sometimes in these staff meetings, things get a bit frantic and, and we're, the temperature's a bit high. And so I'm trying to be like a calming presence. I'm not sure I always do that. Sometimes I'm probably just joining in. I'm like, yes, let's become frantic. But I'm, I'm trying to calm us down. I'm trying to use my presence that way. Other times, it seems like things are a bit melancholy or, or cold. And so I'm actually trying to kind of add some heat and increase uh, the temperature. You can ask uh, the guys who are on my team if I do that well. Um, when I read this, I, I feel like Jesus is increasing the heat 
Uh, I feel like he is describing a, a dire uh, situation. When I read this, I feel like there's a need and I feel like something has to be done. I can imagine the disciples who are looking at this need with him are, are leaning in and they're saying, okay, what, what is the solution to this problem? Tell us what to do, Jesus. And he says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, I find that to be unexpected. At least when I think with my kind of productivity-focused, busyness-seeking, modern mind, I find it to be a bit unexpected. It's actually completely expected if we look at things from a heavenly perspective, if we see things uh, as they really are. See, Jesus is telling his disciples that, that because of the great need before them, because of great God's great power, and, and because of their human weakness, they must pray. John Piper, talking about this verse and, and trying to emphasize for us the necessity of prayer, uh, says that prayer is not an intercom to the butler to bring us what we want. It is a wartime walkie-talkie to call down the power of God in the battle for lost souls. To put it differently, uh, I'm not a medical professional. Uh, I know a lot of people who are, but I haven't gleaned that information. And so I'm not, and my parents actually are, but I didn't inherit it that way either. Uh, but I'm not a medical professional. If I see someone get seriously injured, arguably the best thing I can do is call triple zero. I can't, I can't help in, in a meaningful way. And so I need to call someone who can. I need to get the help that can. This command, Jesus saying, therefore pray, this is not him taking the foot off the gas in any way. This is actually the most appropriate response to seeing the, the magnitude of this situation. If the world is only physical, if, if it's only naturalistic, only what we can, can feel and see and touch, then prayer actually makes no sense. But if God is real, and if our reality is actually supernatural in nature, well, then prayer does make sense. Then prayer is actually indispensable. So do we feel compassion for the lost that drives us to prayer? That is a, that's a challenging question for myself. Any question around prayer tends to be challenging. But that question, do we feel compassion for the lost that drives us to prayer? If not, perhaps it's because we're not seeing things as they really are. See, Francis Schaeffer talks about reality as having two halves, like a, a, a supernatural and a natural uh, spiritual and, and physical, unseen and seen. I want to suggest uh, that cultivating a compassionate heart for the lost, like what we see here in Jesus, requires us to see what is unseen. It, we can look around ourselves and we can actually pretty easily miss people's tragic spiritual condition uh, because we see that things are pretty good on the surface. If we take the crowds that Jesus saw, I'm not sure that every person in those crowds actually appeared to the eye harassed and helpless. I'm sure some of them were actually pretty well put together. Their lives looked okay. But Jesus saw what was unseen. And so he saw what really was. Now for myself, I, I work in uh, college ministry and university ministry. And talking with university students, they're often optimistic. Even if things aren't so good right now, they're optimistic because things will get better in the future. 
And so if I take them at their, at their word, well, I can think there's no problem here. They've got no need. And so I can walk away. I'm failing to see their, their spiritual need. I'm failing to see that, that all of these people without Jesus are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We need to preach that truth to ourselves. Once again, I believe the devil would love to convince us that people are fine when they're not. That would, that would cut, the, cut the knees out of um, our evangelistic efforts. So we have to preach this to ourselves. We have to strive to see what is unseen. We have to preach to ourselves uh, that people are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd and that I'm unable to do the spiritual work required ultimately uh, to save these people. The prayer is a necessity. And in our passage, what Jesus says to, to specifically pray for is that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest field. So first of all, we're praying that, that God, who is the Lord over all things, would, would send out these laborers. So God is the, the primary doer. He's the one we're praying to, the one that we're, we're focused on. But we are praying that he would send out laborers. And laborers are, are simply uh, people who do the work. And in Jesus' picture here of a harvest, laborers are the ones who go and reap uh, the harvest. The harvest is, is the crowds that Jesus saw. And it's the multitude of people all over the world who don't know Jesus, who are like sheep without a shepherd. As we've said, there's good news for those multitudes. There's good news for the people in front of Jesus, and that is that anyone who trusts in the name of Jesus will be saved. But the need for laborers is made clear when we follow uh, Paul's logic and we look at a, a kind of a question, actually, that comes about in light of that good news. Paul says, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? The question is a good one. So the gospel goes to all people and the offer is for everyone. If you trust in Jesus, you'll be saved. And Paul says, well, hold on, who will tell them? The God has chosen that the good news will be proclaimed to the lost from the mouths of those who have been rescued. So, so laborers are those who have been saved and then who go and proclaim that good news of salvation to the world. We're praying not just for people who are part of God's kingdom, but people who will be a part of, of proclaiming and telling the world, telling their friends, telling their family, telling everyone around them about that kingdom. And that brings us to it to the, the second kind of part of, of our part, uh, which is that we are invited into this mission to be laborers. The, the explicit command in light of this plentiful harvest is to pray. But that's actually not the end of the disciples' role with regard to this, this harvest. If we keep reading, in Matthew 10, uh, we have Jesus calling to himself these 12 disciples. These are the same 12 that he's just told to pray. And he tells them to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is incredible for three reasons, at least three reasons. Uh, one, Jesus has just made it clear that the Lord of the harvest is the one who sends out laborers into the harvest. And here he is doing just that. This is yet another moment that testifies to Jesus being God himself. Jesus is the Lord of all things. Uh, the second amazing thing is that the disciples are actually becoming an answer uh, to their own prayer. And the third thing is that we see here an example of an ongoing pattern. 
And it is that the good news of salvation is proclaimed to the world from the mouths of those who have received it and who have enjoyed it themselves. And that's really fitting uh, when you think about it. It's really fitting that we would be involved in this way. We were harassed and helpless and we were uh, suffering and like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, but we've been rescued and we've, we've heard and believed the best news imaginable. Well, it makes sense then that we would, we would go and get to share that with the world. It makes sense that we would want to share that with the world. Listen to the, how the psalmist puts it uh, in Psalm 40. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That's a wonderful articulation of the kind of the joy that we have in Christ and the joy it is to, to share of him. I, I, think, I think we get that. I think that we, we, we long to feel this way. We long to say these kind of things. But if you're like me, when the rubber hits the road and when it comes to evangelism, maybe you tend to slow down because uh, it just doesn't seem quite so easy. See, the cost of, evangeli- of evangelism is uh, significant. First of all, it's, it's insulting. It insults the person that we're, we're evangelizing because it says that they are harassed and helpless. They're like a sheep without a shepherd, unable to save themselves. That's an insulting thing uh, to say to someone, especially in our kind of, uh, self-exalting, pride-filled world. It's also divisive. You know, if someone believes in it, well, they'll probably um, suffer some kind of rejection in our culture. They'll also end up saying no to certain pleasures. That might be kind of hard. Maybe they'll even not be able to hold uh, certain jobs uh, in our culture. So the cost is high for them and for us. You know, we put our reputation on the line. We, uh, you know, maybe they're going to think that we're a bigot or that we're not very loving if we tell them these things. So the cost feels high. Perhaps that's part of the reason that we slow down when it comes to evangelism. It's certainly been part of the reason for me that I've, I've been afraid to evangelize in certain situations. Well, if that's you, like me, if you feel these things, let me suggest uh, that we do three things. The first one is that we, we simply take that, that fear, that, that weakness with evangelism, perhaps even the sense of failure, uh, we actually take that to Jesus. We remember that we are identified with him. We are identified by him. And our identity is secure. When we fail in evangelism, if, if we fail, and I certainly have, it's not that God then holds us at an arm's length. It's not that he uh, is far away from us. No, he is still near to us. We fail in the embrace of our loving father. So the first thing is, would we take that to Jesus? Would we rest in him? Remember that he's the one shepherding us and who is with us. The first thing is let's uh, think correctly about ourselves in light of Jesus. The second thing is let's strive to think correctly about the situation and see what is spiritually true, see what's unseen. We want to strive to see people as Jesus does. The reality, the, the spiritual, true reality underneath all of this is that without Jesus, people are are looking toward an eternity of suffering. With Jesus, they receive unending joy. 
without Jesus, people are, are destined to live uh, unsatisfied, unfulfilled. With Jesus, our thirst is quenched. Our existential desires are met. We have purpose, meaning, fulfillment, all of these things. Without Jesus, people are harassed and helpless and are like sheep without a shepherd. And with Jesus, they are shepherded lovingly. They're cared for and protected. When we see things as they really are, like that, the, the benefit surely becomes insurmountable. It doesn't mean that the cost is not there. It doesn't mean that we're not going to feel the cost. And in fact, sometimes the cost feels more tangible. But I pray that, that, that when we see things as they are, that our hearts would be moved to compassion, and that, that we would be compelled out of that uh, to act. And the final thing I want to say, the third thing and final thing, is, is that we should expect God to work. In the, the video, something that struck me, um, I knew this was coming up, so it stood out to me, but it, is it that Jesus wants his kingdom to grow. Sometimes I think I forget that. The, the image here of a plentiful harvest and the laborers being few is, I think, one of, of readiness. That people are in some way ready to, to hear and believe the gospel. At the very least, we have to acknowledge that God can do these things because he is the Lord of the harvest. So let, let's pray for God to work in the lives of the people around us. Let's certainly proclaim the gospel to them and then let's hope and expect even that God would draw people to himself. Now, at this point, you, you may think I might ask some practical question like, um, you know, where is your harvest field? Or, or who will you go to this week and where will you labor? Those are good questions. Um, and if, if that's the way that God is, is stirring you, if that's what God's stirring in you, by all means, pay attention to it. Think it through. Think through if there are actions or, or uh, things to do in light of that. But I want to challenge us first to pray. That's where Jesus says to start. And so I think it's, it's only fitting that that's where our application should start. Now, I'm not saying only to pray. I don't want to say that we should pray to the exclusion of all else, but I'm saying first, let's pray. Let's pray to the Lord of the harvest. And let's pray that he would send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray for the individuals in our lives who, who we know are lost and who are harassed and helpless. As we do that, I'm confident if we do that, I'm confident that our, our hearts will be stirred and, and we will feel the same kind of compassion that we see in our Savior. And I'm confident if our hearts are stirred that way that we will be compelled to act and to do whatever we can to be a part of, of God actually answering our prayers. What might that look like for you this week, in the coming weeks, this year even? What might it look like for you to first pray? Perhaps it's as simple as setting aside some dedicated extra time each day to pray for, for these things specifically. There's actually prayer on every week uh, before church at 9.15 just out here. They, they pray for the lost. They pray for laborers to be sent out here and all over the world. Perhaps uh, committing to that time uh, over this year might be something helpful for you to start uh, with prayer. Perhaps it's something very simple like setting an alarm on your phone or your watch. That's actually helped me a great deal. Whatever it is, whatever it looks like for you to start with prayer, 
I would love it if our takeaway from today was, was first to pray. Now, as I, as I wrap up here, as we, we wrap up together, let me, let me say that all of this flows out of Christ's compassionate heart. Jesus, our rescuer, sees things as they really are and he feels compassion. And, and having rescued us, he invites us then to see as he does, right? to see both what is seen and what is unseen. And when we do, we're drawn into Christ's heart to feel compassion as he does, and we're compelled to act. We're compelled to pray to God first to do what we can't do on our own, and we're compelled uh, to proclaim the compassion of our rescuer to those who are harassed and helpless. It all starts with our Saviour's heart. So let's pray that, that he would open our eyes to see what he does, to see what is really there and to see what is unseen. Let's pray that he would align our hearts with his and as we strive for that, as we have success or difficulty with that, let's remember that we are not alone and we are not helpless. Jesus is our good shepherd and he is with us always. Let's pray together. Jesus, your heart is, is beautiful. Uh, I pray that you would fill us with awe as, as, we, as we look at it here in this passage, as we seek to understand more of it. And as we do, and as we know you more deeply, as we gaze all the more at you and behold your beauty, Jesus, would we be compelled to, to act in these ways? Would we be compelled to pray and to proclaim the gospel and do all these things? But God, would it never move past beholding you and starting with you, our Savior, and, and the beating heart of our salvation and, um, and missions in, throughout the whole world? Jesus, we, we love you and we pray this in your name. Amen.